Hello again. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast of long-form, intimate profiles of female athletes breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Thank you so much for listening. Here today is Paralympic gold medalist Meg Fisher. We'll hear some fun, nerdy bike stuff about her special fancy cycling leg and about being just a regular person, even though she has been on the top step of the podium many times. I love the bit about her not looking impressive at five foot four. In addition to being a physical therapist now, Meg is a coach. If you have been thinking about finding someone to guide you in your training, give Meg a look. As you will hear, she is super enthusiastic and very clearly devoted to her athletes. Of course, take a listen to our conversation to see what you think. All of her contact information is on her episode page at hearhersports.com. But before we say hello to Meg, it would be wonderful if you rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. I'm sure you've heard this before because it really does help out a podcast to get more good ratings from listeners. Now, let's get to it. Today's guest is Meg Fisher. She won a gold medal, two silvers, and a bronze in cycling at the London and Rio Paralympics and is a 10-time world champion. Meg retired from racing in 2016 and is now a doctor of physical therapy, certified athletic trainer, coach, motivational speaker, and of course, still an athlete. But Meg's road to success has not been easy. At 19 years old, she was involved in a tragic car accident that nearly killed her. She survived a coma and lost the lower portion of her left leg. She was even told she would never walk again. But Meg dug her heels in and gathered a team of people to help her return to an active life. Today, she is dedicated to helping erase limits, change lives, and demonstrate the capacity of the human body and spirit. Welcome, Meg. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Well, first off, I want to find out more about all the sports that you do. A quick check on social shows an incredible range of activities. So what sports do you do and what kind of training are you doing these days? See, my background is as a tennis player. I started when I was three, I got my first racket. So that will always be my foundational sport and one that I return to throughout the year. But I don't play much tennis anymore. I got really into endurance sports. So I still enjoy cycling, all forms of cycling, whether that's mountain biking, road biking, fat biking, gravel, cyclocross, time trialing. Not much track cycling in Montana as there is no velodrome, though it still remains something I'm passionate about. I also enjoy running, hiking, swimming, rafting, stand-up paddleboarding, all all the things. I live in western Montana, and I, I liken it to a big kid playground. So anything that's here, I pretty much like to do it. What's the attraction of cycling? Cycling, I think, is accessible to a wide variety of people, and cycling really gave me back my sense of identity. When I was at first hurt, well, even before that, kind of the background is that as a tennis player, I kind of limited myself. I didn't think I could do much beyond play tennis, although I played some other team sports in high school, but tennis was my jam. And then I'd seen people race triathlon and I thought, you know, how can a body do three sports in one day? That's not possible. Although I was always really interested in cycling that I just really intrigued by, I think, the beauty of the sport as well as the challenge. And then in the hospital, when I had all my physical capacities taken away, the Tour de France happened to be on. And I think that was a very easy thing that lasts a long time that you can follow day to day when you're in the hospital. Again, I was amazed at the strength, vigor, and grit of the team of athletes riding 
And so I returned to Montana after I was hurt and had some more health setbacks. Again, uh, you mentioned I was told I'd never walk again. Eventually, I regained the ability to walk, and I was paired with an awesome service dog. Her name was Betsy the Wonder Dog. And Betsy, when I was really incapacitated, did a lot of things for me. But as I regained my physical abilities, I wanted to enjoy having a really awesome dog. Although I didn't know how back then to hike for a long distance. I couldn't run very far. There's no way that I I could really be a part of her energy. Although I saw people mountain biking with their dogs and I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And so Betsy's really my segue into cycling. And I learned quite quickly that a bike can carry me a lot farther than my own two feet can. So I blame all the good things that happened in my life through cycling on my dog. She was a really great presence in my life. She passed away last fall, which leads me to just cycling. And then through cycling, I eventually gained the strength and endurance and fitness and speed in order to earn a position on the national team, the national paracycling team. And my world was opened to the abilities that humans have. I got to ride with people who had one arm, no arms, one arm, one leg, one arm, two legs, uh, paralyzed on half their body. Maybe both their arm and a leg are paralyzed from a stroke, or maybe they're paralyzed from the waist down. Maybe they're visually impaired. Maybe there's been other neurological impairments that have limited their physical abilities. So maybe they can't race on the elite able-bodied side, but racing to their highest ability still makes them awfully fast. And it was a great opportunity to see that the modifications that bikes can provide, as well as how strong and resilient people can be in using bikes as that tool. I think that's awesome. And I love hearing that a dog got you biking. Oh, yeah. Betsy's the absolutely greatest little heartbeat they're ever done beaded. She was great. Yeah. And I see also on social that you have a new puppy who's super cute. Oh, Pax. Yeah, he's almost six months old, Mm -hmm. and he's got some big paws to step into. He's right now curled up at my feet. He's learning to bike and be a good companion and trail partner, but he's also learning the skills for the days when I can't walk to be my little helper. For people who have all their limbs and capacities, and apologies if I'm not saying it in the right way, are you able to describe what it's like to ride and if it's at all different without your lower leg, without your left leg? I think there's probably, uh, it's multifaceted. And I like to always first say we all have our own impairments. Some of them are more visible than others. Often we just can't see through somebody's eyes deep enough to, to know their hurt or the struggles that they've overcome. And I think a lot of people find whatever sport or passion that drives them as a means for coping for those, those challenges or finding success or, I jokingly say, exercising those demons. Bikes, I think, emotionally enable me to push myself to my absolute limits. And... As an able-bodied athlete, I, I really relished what my body could do. And when I was hurt, laying in the hospital and in various setbacks after that, it's amazing how your world can shrink and how you can feel like, well, I can't do this or, or that anymore. Being told you'll never walk again and you think, well, I'm 
22 and what do you mean I, I'm not going to walk? I am enlivened by my bike. I feel freedom. I feel liberty. I feel ability because so many times when I can't walk, I can still ride. There's been a several races where I've used crutches to get to the start line and I drop my crutches and I ride my bike and I don't hurt. So biking allows me to put a put aside and forget some of that hurt. I, I, I love my bike. As much as somebody needs their running shoes or needs their knitting needles or whatever, like I need it. But then physically, I, I think, yeah, my right leg is significantly more powerful. And with the technologies now, my power meter, it happens to be a quark can tell me that my right leg does about 65% of the effort. So left leg does about, what, 35%? And ideally, yeah, 50-50 would be super neato, but that's not going to be my story. I'm able to ride no hands. I can ride no hands one leg. I can ride single leg. Both sides, I can ride single leg. There just happens to be a huge dead spot in my left leg, which means like I can push down on the pedal. It's just not as smooth on the chain as it completes the revolution. So it just kind of sounds a little jerky. I challenge every cyclist out there to do single leg drills to minimize their dead spots because that will make them a more efficient cyclist overall. That said, yeah, I do practice that. But imagine basically having a ski boot on your one of your ankles. Like I don't get to bend my ankle ever. So that means like, yeah, I have to ride different length cranks, which changes the lever arm, which changes the power I can exert on the bike. That's just nerdy geeky stuff that you know a cyclist might get really excited about. I'm okay with it. I do the best I can. I do get to have a really cool cycling leg that other people don't get to have. Sometimes I think of myself as a bit of a um, transformer and that I can put on different legs for different activities and like morph into this other person to some extent. And that's pretty fun. Like having your own fun leg, sweet. And <laughs> I... <laughs> that's uh, good. Yeah. For Rio, my prosthetist, who's a professional who makes prosthetic limbs, he made me an arrow leg that I lovingly refer to as the Death Star. It was just completely flat and murdered out, and it had like naked carbon with USA stenciled in there. Like, it's pretty sweet. It's one that I don't ride mostly because I can't walk in it, but it's it's pretty sweet. It got approved by the UCI. It actually has a UCI stamp on it, so it qualifies for the UCI standards. If Again, if a cyclist knows about the UCI, they're... um, pretty strict and that's pretty fun I gotta say but my normal biking leg I look at that as is just again another gateway or access point into places I couldn't otherwise go in my soul like you know I love going into the pain cave I love seeing how far I can go I love seeing how many miles I can travel how many feet of elevation I can climb or whether it's just biking to town for coffee you know like I just your bike can take you so many places it's really our first sense of freedom when we're kids too so just imagine that freedom, you know, being able to bike to your friend's house or the corner store for candy. It's still the same. It also has a lovely history for women being able to get out. Ah, oh, yeah. It's just like bikes are just about the most poetic thing out there. It's beautiful. Seeing it in motion, seeing how people in Europe use their bikes as tools, seeing how people in Africa create bikes out of minimal to no resources, uh, whether it was the Buffalo soldiers and what they were able to accomplish. Just the history of bikes is phenomenal. Oh, the penny farthing races, if you watch those, like that's mayhem. Anyway, I could go on and on, but that's just cool. 
people don't always want to hear that. So, <laughs> <laughs> What kind of adjustments or training are you having to do to make up for not having a leg? And I think mostly about balance and your core strength and things like that, because I would think there would be a weight difference from one side to another. And yeah, talk more about that. You ask the most interesting questions. Thank you. Holy smokes. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Yes, I'm, I'm a physical therapist and an athletic trainer. So as passionate as I am about cycling, I am as passionate about the black hole of awesomeness of the human body and what it can do, what it can recover from, how it can get stronger, more resilient, more dynamic. It just, I get so excited about that. I just heard this recently that they say some therapists go into psychology and the research of it, instead of calling it research, they call it me-search because they're learning about themselves. And I got to say, that might be what studying the human body is for me, because as much as I get to help my patients and athletes, I'm still learning about how I can also better myself. Okay, I think that's a fun side note. Anyway, so going back to the earlier comment in that we all have impairments that we can't see. So what people can't see when they look at me in my spandex, you know, it doesn't leave much to the imagination, but I've had a closed head injury. I've actually spent a week in a coma. They weren't sure how I was going to wake up. My brain was bleeding and swelling, and I couldn't breathe on my own. So recovering from a traumatic brain injury has been one of the harder things in that I also got a whole new personality when I woke up. Believe it or not, I was painfully shy before my injury. And when you wake up as a gregarious person who can't just about shut up, it's, um, it's kind of a whirlwind to get used to. Also, I had to relearn how to talk and Sometimes I still stutter because I have trouble with word finding. I can feel myself almost reworking the neural pathways to find the word I want to say. And when I'm tired, that's harder to do. And writing is probably more difficult because finding the word and then actually expelling it onto paper or keyboard, there's a roadblock there. And you can argue that lots of people have trouble with that. And sure, yeah, I can just tell you it wasn't that way before. Uh, other than that, I, I also had half of my abdominal muscles removed. So I have a scar as long as my arm or my forearm on my stomach because half my rectus abdominis or the muscles that kind of make up that six pack, the vertical linear muscles were removed for a muscle graft at one point. So I actually, I can't do a sit up. Like I cannot lay on the ground and sit myself up. I feel like a turtle. And that just means like, instead of a six packs, I get a three pack. It's overcomable. But going back to your question of what I have to do to overcome those things is, yeah, I have to work on balance. I have to work on trying to be as symmetrical as I can. Not having a left ankle means that my squat biomechanics are off. Even deadlifting is a little bit weird. Like everything's just a little off. And it it helps that I have good body awareness. Some people don't. Some people just can't tell what's doing what. But I can. And that's really fortunate because that means I can be really self-aware as I go through movements and I'm coordinated. But I try to do a lot of single leg left squats. I try to do a ton of deadlifts. A posterior chain is vital. I'm never going to join Cirque du Soleil. I'm never going to be a ballerina, but I try to practice my balance whenever I can. And I also try to do a lot of different things. Cyclists or whatever you get into, whether it's working eight to 10 hours a day at a computer. And then if you only ride a bike and then you sit down and watch TV at the end of the day, because boy, how do you're tired from the whole day. 
you kind of think you've always been in the same sitting position, whether it's in a chair or on a bike or in your recliner. So you have to do something to undo that. And that's something I'm very conscious of is like, how can I move around? How can I make sure I remain dynamic and resilient? I'm always thinking about how I can be prepared to take a fall if I do, or stand tall, or be able to hike with my dog at the end of the day, not just be a cyclist. I'm so glad you talked about the unseen. I mean, I'm sure I do this as somebody without a leg. I think, oh, they don't have a leg, but everything else is perfectly functioning, which right. probably isn't true by your example of your abdominal muscles being used for something else. Yeah. Super fascinating. Wild. Yeah. I mean, you could probably argue that for everyone. I mean, most people at some point have had a TBI, especially if it's a cyclist. That's one of the highest sports for having a traumatic brain injury or soccer. It's actually really high in basketball as well and overcoming those challenges or whether it be having a rotator cuff surgery at some point that maybe you can't be a basketball player anymore, which leads you into endurance running or what have you. Like, it's pretty cool. Like, you don't know what leads people to where they're at or how they overcome stuff. And now just a quick break to say that Hear Her Sports is now an affiliate of Bookshop, an online bookstore supporting local independent bookstores. When you order books from hearhersports.com forward slash books, we get a small percentage of the total sale. We put together a fun list of books recommended by our guests, written by our guests, or related to an episode. But there's no need to stick to the list once you're on Hear Her Sports store page. All of your purchases support the show, and we will thank you very much. That website again is hearhersports.com forward slash books. I'm really taken by when you were in the hospital and you're recovering and you fought to become active again. Do you remember sort of those feelings of stubbornness and why you were so determined and, you know, how you move from one day to the next, from one accomplishment to the next? Ooh. I remember waking up in the hospital and I was just coming out of my coma. So waking up from a coma is not like it is in the movies. You don't just like wake up and the lights are on. It's very much like a bad disco and that the lights flicker on and off and on and off and on and off and you don't get to control it. There's no beat or rhythm to it. And I remember waking up and looking down in my hospital bed and your feet generally leave bumps underneath the covers and I didn't have two foot bumps. And of all the things I could have thought, I remember thinking, oh, that's not good. And then my second thought was, how am I going to play tennis again? Which might sound super shallow, right? Like, I wish my first thought had been to my partner who was in the car accident and wondering where she was. That was right up there. That was probably the next time my light switched on. But being active for somebody who was shy and lacking confidence in a lot of ways, like sports was how, that was my identity. That was how I related to people. That was my community. That was my release. That's how I identified myself. Being told that I was now disabled and being labeled as such and being treated as such and really being greatly impaired. Like I couldn't, I needed a wheelchair. I couldn't sit up for long periods of time, like all the things. So yeah, it's a great question is how somebody remains stubborn. And I did go down a, a rabbit hole, but yeah, coming back to how does somebody 
remain stubborn. I think stubbornness, first of all, is a great characteristic. It often gets played as, as a negative thing. Like, don't be stubborn. Why not? Like, why not? Why not? There's no reason why not. People now call that grit or something like that. There's books written on the grittiness factor and, and you can rate yourself. Why not call it stubborn? I don't know. Maybe it's not poetic. I think when I kind of went down a rabbit hole of talking about being really impaired and waking up and realizing the level of my impairment, it's that sports was my identity. As much as maybe I wanted to give up, the people around me didn't really let me give up either. When you're in the hospital, you kind of judge the day by the meals or what procedures you have, and then you get out of the hospital and you judge the day by the meals and your medicines and then what rehab or doctor's appointments you have, and then your life kind of keeps building upon itself. And so you just kind of stay in a constant state of preparedness for the next event, the next event, the next event, the next event. When I was came home from the hospital, all my high school friends went off to college. So I really was alone. And I owe a lot of my resilience and grittiness to somebody named Vicki Condon, who has since passed away from cancer. And uh, side note, fuck cancer. Okay. She was retired and I became her project of sorts. So she would come to my house to give my mom a break a bit. And she would take me to a tennis court. She took an office chair with wheels and a basket of balls. She was also an accomplished tennis player as well. So she would give me lessons while I was sitting down. I couldn't even stand. I didn't literally have a leg to stand on. And she would give me lessons because she said, when you stand up, you're going to have a great volley or we're going to make sure the mechanics of your forehand are X, Y, and Z. You're going to be able to hit a really nice slice backhand. Then I could stand up. And then when she gave me lessons standing up, I couldn't move well, but you know, we started working on footwork and how to compensate around that. And then I got a job teaching tennis. And then I could stand and do a little bit more. So I started teaching older kids and then I could teach more classes. And then all of a sudden I was well enough to go back to college. I wasn't well enough or able enough to go back to collegiate tennis, but I was able enough to begin exploring just how able I could become. Your question is like, how do you move from one mini success or great success to the next challenge? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think there probably is some innate genetic nature, nurture, all facets of it in that like, yeah, I grew up with a single mom. My dad wasn't a part of the picture and she had to pick herself up from her bootstraps and I got to see that. And she was by my side during all of my recovery. And I had really good friends. You could say partly maybe I'm Canadian and I'm American. So maybe that mixture also made me more resilient. There's so many things I I can't put my finger on it, but in part like I mean, being told I would never walk again and being like, I'll show you, like, you don't know me. I don't know what planted that seed in my head. But even now, if somebody told you, like, if you're just whoever's listening to this, like, if I just told you, you're never going to walk again. What does that feel like? Are you probably thinking like that girl, Meg, she doesn't know me. She, she has no idea about me. She's just saying that just to say that to maybe humble her beliefs or goals or she, she doesn't know like who is she and that's kind of how I felt it's like who's this person telling me I'll never walk again like what they don't know me there's a terrific video made by under the sky that shares your story from the car crash to Olympic gold 
And one bit that stuck out to me is when you said, I'm just a person. I thought about that as you were talking. I mean, yes, on one hand, you're doing amazing things, but on the other hand, you're saying, I'm just a person. So can you talk a little bit more about what you meant by that? And I'm asking in particular because that sentiment feels really important to me these days. Thanks. Um, the Under the Big Sky documentary series was an awesome thing to be a part of. And when I said that, that I'm just a person, I 100% mean it. I'm no different than anybody else. If someone were to look at me, I'm about 5'5 five, five on a tall day. I've never actually technically reached 5'5, five, five, but I'm just going to say it because it makes me feel good. My hair on top of my head definitely makes me 5'5. Five, five. I weigh probably 130 pounds. I'm not very big. There's no reason I should accomplish big things, really. I, I don't look that impressive. I'm shy. Even though that head injury made me super gregarious, my default is to be a nervous mouse, to be scared. There's no reason that that nervous mouse should be standing on the top step getting a gold medal at the Paralympics. There's no reason that scared person there's just, I, 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 can't, I can't always match the person that I think I am to the person that's accomplished the things that, you know, my resume says I have. But really, isn't that just the human experience? Like, we don't know what we're capable of until we're faced with that opportunity. We don't know if we're going to be able to get that term paper done because it's due first period and it's 10 o'clock tonight and I've got now like six hours to write that term paper and it's 50% of my grade, whatever. You know, we, we all have those experiences. We don't know like how we're going to get through the week. We don't know how we're going to manage if our parent dies. We don't know how we're going to find a way after we get fired or laid off. Like there's so many times that we all feel scared. We all feel that lack of confidence or we feel uncertain. And then, and then we just do it. By golly, we just do it. Whether it's, yeah, somebody signs up for uh, what used to be Dirty Kansas, 200 mile gravel race in the middle of Kansas. That's an awfully big chunk to sign up for. And who really knows if they're able to do 200 miles? Yeah, people can do it. I can do it. I can do it with one leg. And if I can do it with one leg, chances are most people can do it with two. So I'm just a person. I don't feel special. I feel fortunate to have great people in my life who have enabled me to continue to explore what I'm capable of. Because I guess maybe left to my own devices. I might limit myself. It's important to have special people. Oh, totally. Totally. 100%. And maybe that's a community that people find through whatever sport or passion or pursuit. A knitting circle, right? You get together and you get to talk. You get to share something you both enjoy that's cathartic. My knitting circle happens to be a group ride. You know, same, same. What are you doing about your knitting circle during the pandemic? Oh, golly. That... Yeah, that's a different thing. I don't have a knitting circle. I don't have a group to ride with. I think many of us through this pandemic have found a choice few people where we lower our guard because we feel like we're leading similar and in sync lives as far as our levels of safety. And I'm not here to judge anyone's circle. That's, that's for you. But I have a few people that I feel comfortable riding with. We're outside in open air, so I, again, I feel like that enables us to be even safer. So I have a very select group of single knitting buddies. We go out on one-on-one -on -one adventures, and that is 
revitalizing. If I didn't have that, I'm not sure. I mean, I would be fine, right? Let's be honest. We're going to be fine. This recession, this pandemic, all of these things are just giant obstacles. And we may not think that we're able to overcome it, but we will. We're going to wake up tomorrow. What do we want it to be? And so that's, I guess, what do I do with my knitting circle? Is I, I, I've reinvented it, whether it be through Zwift or just my own personal time out on the bike. I've learned to really enjoy being by myself. That's cathartic as well. I want to ask another question about the pandemic. So after the crash, you fought to return to physical activity. So why are sports so important to you? And and the reason I sort of relate this to the pandemic is the pandemic has made me think a lot about the value of sports right now and the importance of sports when we're dealing with so much other stuff, which can seem super important or is super important. Mm. So has the pandemic changed your relationship to sports at all? I think it has highlighted or kind of shown a light on for me how important it is to be able to be okay with yourself and find individual sport. My growing up years were all in team sports, all organized team sports. And I wonder how that can go on during a pandemic. One of my all-time favorite books from 10, 15 years ago is called The Great Influenza by John M. Barry. It came in circulation again, and he's getting a lot more press because it's an excellent book, and it certainly is relevant to the times now. I think being alive now, as hard as it is, is so exciting because our world is changing fast, like super duper, 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 duper quick. And the effects of what this year, 2020, is going to have on the next 100 years, 200 years, is it's going to leave a mark. Like we are different in the 100 years, roughly since the last pandemic. Like that left a stamp. This is going to leave a stamp. So I think going back to like how I think it changed my relationship to sports, like I'm just curious how it's going to change team sports in particular. There's a lot that gets put through the media as far as team sports, like well, to say professional football, right? Or professional basketball. Like those athletes are getting COVID tested every day. Whereas our kids going to schools aren't. And some are choosing to be a part of team sports. Some aren't. Again, that's not for me to decide. And I have zero judgment past. It's more that a hundred years from now, we'll be able to look back and we'll be able to say, hey, that was probably a wiser idea or no, we'll need to do something else. Living where I do, in a state that I think just cracked a million people. We have one area code for the whole state. So it's pretty low population density. If I think if I was still living in Chicago, it would be different than living here in Montana. There's a lot of individual sport out here. People find great passion and release and fulfillment through hunting season. You pretty much go out by yourself or another buddy. Pretty socially distant. I can go mountain biking from my front door all by myself. I can go running from my front door. I can drive 10 minutes and be on the river. Like I, I have a lot of opportunities to do individual sport. I don't go on group rides as much. Meh. I fill it with other things. Um, I guess I'm lucky that way. And some people aren't. Certainly with the wildfires, that's changed things as well. The wildfire smoke has made it here to Montana and it is unhealthy air for athletes 
anybody, anybody to be outside, let alone breathing deeply. So that again shrinks the circle. So I'm riding in my basement bathroom, place I call the hot box. I did a lot of training there for the games. I never thought I'd be back there, but the hot box is fun again. I hadn't been there really since Rio. I'm finding things again. So I guess my relationship to sport, it's all about reinvention. You have to be able to be okay by yourself and you have to make decisions for what's okay for you and your community. You and I are sort of the choir, you know, we're both big sporty enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, you know, you're very aware of your body and you work with clients, you're working with physical therapy clients, you're working with coaching clients. How do you pass along that enthusiasm to people who, you know, would rather just sit on the couch or have much more trouble getting off the couch? Mm. It's easy to share your passion, right? I think we all go into situations where some people are more passionate than others, whether it's your statistics teacher who's just super excited by the p-value and you're like, I could give a rip. And so you don't become a statistician. Okay, fine. But you've got to get through it to get your degree or get your diploma or whatever. Some of my patients find me the same way. They are not at all excited about their physical abilities although I'm super stoked. So I try to make our time together because perhaps they need me because they've had a knee replacement and it's like they legit need me in order to do, to get their diploma, to go on to the next thing. So I try to make that experience as positive as possible. I try to meet them where they're at. At the end of the day, I can't want something more than somebody else. Like if they don't want to be active, I can't make them. Maybe they're excited for activity and motion while they're with me. Great. Great, 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 great. I can only hope that my voice stays somewhere tucked in the back of their brain and kind of chirps at them in a really pretty way to keep moving or to keep stretching or to keep striving for more for themselves. Want people to be greedy for themselves. Want more, want more strength, want more. That's okay. Yeah, just the end of the day, I can't want it more than people because otherwise if I continue to want it more than other people, I lose myself. I love my job because I'm passionate and I'm excited and I get invested in people. But it can also be really a dark place for me if I try to give to somebody who can't take it or can't give anything back to me. I'm, I'm, you know, annoyingly energetic, I think. I used to coach tennis and I have had (laughs) uh, tennis students. I was a tennis professor at the college here and they were like, I just didn't care about tennis. I was just taking it for one credit. Like if you could just, just understand that I'm not going to be a professional tennis player, like that'd be way better for me. And I'm like, dude, I got it. I'm just like super (laughs) excited about tennis and trying to make this one credit class as exciting as possible. And so that hopefully you have some semblance beforehand when you leave. I don't know. That's cool. Uh, I've taught anatomy and been given the same feedback. Like, I think it's so exciting. But why not? Why not have a teacher who is excited? And basically, as a physical therapist, I'm a teacher. I want to teach somebody about themselves so that when they leave me, that they can take something with. It's hard to imagine that anyone has anything planned for the future. But do you have anything planned? Yes. Any goals coming up? Yes. Um, Next week... Pax starts his canine good manners class. So, I mean, it's easy having a puppy, right? Like, or have, I would assume like having a little person. They have things on their agenda. I have a schedule for next year, which is basically a complete reflection of 2020 because many race organizers were generous enough to allow people to roll over their entries or to hold spaces. Yeah, I've got plans. 
I have plans of opening my own clinic. Right now I do home-based physical therapy and online coaching. I'm hoping to start my own space. What a wild time that is to try to do that during a pandemic. But I think it's possible people are doing it. And one thing I've learned is that tomorrow's not promised. When I was 19 with Sarah in that car, we had our car packed with all of our hopes and dreams. Literally, like we were leaving Chicago to sign a lease on an apartment here in Missoula. She was going to start grad school to be an English teacher. I was going to come back and continue my degree as a wildlife biology student and tennis athlete. Like I thought this is my first apartment. Like think about that. Like when you're 19, the world is your oyster. And then you wake up a week later and it's all gone. All of it, all of it. And you can't even feed yourself. You can't, can't do anything for yourself. Like that's, I would assume very much like this pandemic where we have all these plans and hopes and dreams and all of a sudden like, no, you don't. Nope, 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 nope. no, you don't. You got to reinvent it. But I know that as hard as today is, I will go to sleep tonight and I will wake up tomorrow and it will be a new day and it'll be another opportunity to make it what I want it to be or as close to what I want it to be. And chances are I'll feel like I failed at the end of tomorrow too, but I'll wake up the next day and try again. And I'll probably feel a little disappointed. I might have some great wins. I got big plans for today. Holy moly. And being with you right now, that is just so exciting and one of the wins for today. And it's still early out here. So, um, I'll chalk this up to a win, but I'll go to sleep tonight and try again tomorrow and try and feel just as good about what I did right now or I'm doing right now tomorrow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do you still compete? Yes, I do. Certainly. I don't race at the pointy end of the race anymore. My job is not to be on the podium as much anymore. I sure as heck sure try, but I race only against able-bodied athletes. So yeah, we have two different bodies. A person with two legs, their top end, their strength and power and speed is often different than mine. But you know what? I am sure as heck going to chase them down. And if I pass them, I won't say anything. I'm not not trying to rub it in or anything, but like I'm going to make them work hard to chase me back. It's kind of fun. That's what racing is, right? And part of my job, again, is like, is to not be at the pointy end of the race is what I'm meaning, is to be back there in the pack and to be excited. I'm so happy to be out there on the bike, to be out there in the elements, to be doing what fuels my soul. And I love to share that with other people. I like to catch up and learn where people are from. I love to share with them the people and support and companies who have helped me get to where I've been. I want people to learn about those opportunities. I want to also be out there as a visual image because a lot of people look at me again. I'm not that big. I'm not that intimidating and I only have one leg, but I am out there giving it my all. And if that helps other people either on the sidelines think, man, she's doing it. Maybe I can do it. Maybe next year they're going to be out there or whether that's at the library or something and I'm taking the stairs and they're about to push the button on the elevator and they go, oh, I can take the stairs too. Or they see me out there walking my dog. My cat actually goes for walks with us too around the neighborhood. So they're out there seeing me walk the dog and the cat, and they're like, man, I should, I've been wanting to go for a walk. If that helps them keep moving, get moving, and explore their physical abilities, great. I've climbed a 19,000-foot volcano for the past two years for an amazing organization called the Range of Motion Project. Seeing me on top of a, a volcano with crampons and an ice axe, if that motivates somebody to be like, wow, if that girl can do it, that person, that human, I mean, just, just a person. But if I can do it, chances are you can do it if you want to. 
There's no guilt trip. I'm not trying to say you have to do it, you need to do it, you should do it. Don't should on yourself. But if you want to, chances are you can. That's awesome. You're very inspiring. I know you're just a regular person, but you're also very inspiring. So it's exciting to talk to you. Before we wrap up, is there anything important to this discussion that I haven't asked about that you want to talk about? I would like for people to know that I do motivational speaking. I'm happy to go wherever. And even uh, during these times of a pandemic, I've met companies over the internet via different online platforms to be able to share my enthusiasm and experience and passion with others. I also do this as an online coaching. So I'm very eager to help people, especially when they're at home, move past the limits that they've inadvertently, possibly, or don't even know that they've set for themselves to move beyond those. Because I, I truly believe we are all more capable than we know. That is part of my core is that we don't know what we're capable of until that hard thing is in front of us. And sometimes having somebody stand by your side to get past that, what we need. And I'm happy to be that person. I relish the opportunity to be a mentor for people who are going through limb loss or um, limb salvage. Because like sometimes people break an ankle and it's really, really bad. And they're not sure if they should keep that ankle that is in some ways holding them back or if they perhaps need to pursue the avenue of amputation because by letting go of one thing, another thing comes into their life. I just want to be a resource for people. And so I want people to know that they can find me on the internet, on my website at gomegfisher.com. Feel free to reach out or Instagram is a really easy way, just megfisher, at megfisher. I'm here, I'm out there. And while I may not be in people's towns the same ways as I was last year, Hopefully next year I'll be there and I would love to see anyone at a race expo on the course. Just let me know how I can help you. Great. And all those links will be on the show notes page so people can find it there. Much appreciated. Sure. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fantastic and a great way to get back into things. Oh, you're amazing. Um, you ask such thoughtful, considerate questions. It's an absolute privilege. I hope that someday our paths cross as well. Well, I would like to. I've gotten more into gravel riding and some of the long stuff. Oh, yeah. It's very intriguing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. If you have any questions, sometimes I feel like I have to like contain my excitement because I kind of get overwhelming. <laughs> so if there is anything I can do, whether just to talk about gearing or just kind of demystify some of the what's out there, I'm, I'm happy to do that. The Midwest has great gravel roads and it often gets... I think neglected for that it doesn't have big mountains or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Good stuff out there. Great stuff. Cool. Well, great. You're amazing. I really appreciate this chance. Podcasts are a great avenue right now for people to take it on their bike, take it on their walk. You know, I, I love podcasts, so I'm super addicted. Well, that's it for this week. Find out more about Meg, her coaching, and other adventures on her episode page at hearhersports.com. There you'll also find a link to the terrific Under the Big Sky video we mentioned. And to add to our recommendations on our online bookstore, Meg shared what she's currently reading and some of her favorites. Find all of those at hearhersports.com forward slash books. There's always good stuff coming up in the next episodes, so subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While 44% of athletes are women, only 4% of the media coverage is about women. Hear Her Sports aims to shift the scale while inspiring women to be their best. 
Until next time, bye-bye. I was doing so good that I was like, holy smokes, I've gone into left field. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.